Uh, I made a promise to you guys, and I, I, I don't do too well at it, uh, and, uh, which is to try to teach um, at least uh, a couple of sides of the interpretation of this. Um, there's actually probably, you know, ten interpretations for any one part of it. Um, but uh, saying that, uh, the last time we met, which was now three weeks ago, I guess, we missed two weeks. Um, uh, one, I was, one was prayer, and uh, Janice, uh, no, I was sick the night of the prayer, and then the week before that, last week was, yeah, was, and then last week was um, Pastor Roger uh, with Maine. And I don't always button my shirt without a tie, but it holds the mic up better. And since we're not on camera, I don't mind looking dumb in front of you guys. Um, but anyway, um, but uh, we had a big discussion on, is the seventh trumpet the last trumpet? And uh, Joe St. John there sent me an article, um, some guy arguing that uh, why it could be that the, that the last trumpet doesn't have to be the seventh trumpet in Revelation. And uh, so... I, I would love for you to read this and, um, and think all of that through, maybe even do other research to see whether you agree with this person's opinion or not. Um, but it is a justification for saying, thank you, yeah, yeah, you can do that. It's a justification for saying that the, the last trumpet in Thessalonians does not have to be the seventh trumpet in Revelation. Um, and I'm pretty staunch in my beliefs, so um, I'm going to hold on to that one still a little bit for myself, but that's up to you, and I'm going to take a sip of my hot coffee and my carefully, you'll end up my next sermon mode. How are y'all doing tonight? Yeah, that long break, I, I, I was afraid it might uh, hurt our attendance a little bit, and, and maybe it has, but uh, we'll, we'll look in Revelation 8. Is that me or y'all? That's me, I guess. Let me see. Yeah, there's a, hey, look at this thing on the here. All right, we'll fix that. Okay. Sorry. It'll only take me a second if I do it. It may beep again, but don't let it worry you too much. It might not do it now that I did that. And this will go off until I do fix it. Um, anyway, Revelation. Whew. Sorry, sometimes this gets aggravating. If I if I tell it, I looked at it. Sometimes it'll quit telling me over and over. Um, yes, we're in Revelation. So, um, chapter uh, eight, we come to the um, the the seventh seal and the golden censer, and um, that is what we. I believe we're supposed to be looking at tonight um, because uh, we had the the first seven uh, I believe the last time does anybody uh, do you have the Revelation 8 questions with you does anybody need some I've, I've got okay got a couple over here um, I think I have yeah those are both eights if you pass one behind you anybody else need one? Oh, okay sorry missed it um, I need one because I didn't bring my pad in here. You got eight? Okay. I can't, my fingers won't let it pull it apart. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so I'll keep that one out for me so I can kind of see where we are and what we're doing. Um, in fact, uh, I, I was going to do uh, eight. Uh, I was thinking I had to do eight, write up eight for you guys tonight. Um, we're, in, we're in Revelation 8 tonight, uh, for those of you who just came in. Um, we have copies of next week's questions, and you can get those before you leave. But tonight we're looking at, at uh, chapter 8. Do you all have the questions from chapter 8? Well, here you go. Th this, this is an, artic this is an article um, in, uh, because I said I, I would try to show all the Cases. Sorry, we're putting this twice on the recording, but um, the uh, but uh, I said that the seventh trumpet in Revelation is the last trumpet of Thessalonians, and that's an article with saying that not necessarily have to be that way. So I want you to be able to study both sides, and uh, 
So I made a copy of that for you guys um, to read. I, I, I was going to read it in detail, and I was out so long, I'm still, I think I'm almost caught up with everything I missed because I was out of the office for two weeks. Uh, first with Janice having COVID, and I didn't want to get around everybody, and then as she was getting over it, I decided I enjoyed her sickness, so I took it from her. And so then I had it for a few days. But anyhow, so let me re refocus myself. Let's pray, and that'll help me a lot. Father, uh, we thank you for this book, uh, this book of the Revelation. And Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you make the hidden known. Uh, we know that we don't always understand everything written here uh, because um, we, we don't understand the day, the time, and the background of, of John speaking. Um, as well as we should. We can learn that. We can investigate and find that out. But, um, Lord, we, we thank you for that privilege that we have today where we can find a lot of this a lot faster than before. So, uh, but just guide us, Lord, as we read your word and uh, uh, help us to understand. And uh, again, Lord, help us to um, try to get the gospel to every tongue and tribe and nation. Um, because that was the qualifications you said before the end would come. So, Lord, we, we pray that we will do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in that prayer, I just said something that reminded me, um, as I've been reading in commentaries and all, there will be a, something in Revelation, and, and they'll say, this, we don't know this from anywhere in the Bible. However, <laughs> um, a lot of the apocryphal, we, for lack of a better word, we'll just use one word, apocryphal, there's actually three sets of books that are kind of intertestamental, I think most of them are, if not all of them. And they, there's three groups, so there's the pseudepigrapher, the apocrypha, and I forget the name of the third. And we don't count them as scripture. We didn't put them in our Bible. Catholics do have the apocrypha in the Bible and maybe the pseudepigrapha. Um, reminds me of the joke, but that's okay. Um, and, uh, and the New Testament writers will refer to them sometimes. And so what and I'll say we conservatives, because I'm a conservative and I want our church to be a conservative church. What we conservatives say is, if, if a writer in the New Testament or, or Jesus uses a reference to that, then it must have been true there. But we don't know about the rest because we know that there are things there aren't true, and so we know we can't trust the whole document. And, but what you do have to understand, there are... There are, there's like a gospel of Peter, I think, is one of the ones that I think of. And that, but there, there are a lot of books, and in this day, people would write, and they would use the name of an apostle trying to fool everybody. Like, you know, they, they were the ghostwriter, but that, no, this is Peter's gospel. And so, and I don't know why, because, I mean, it's not like book sales today. I don't know if they were going to get rich or they just wanted to get famous. I don't know what their motivation was. Um, but we still see that today, don't we, where people try to take credit for somebody else's work or, or trying to be a big shot or something. So, um, so I say that because uh, as I look at this, uh, some of the commentators use those references and say, this might have been in John's mind because we find it here. And they, because they had a knowledge of the Old Testament. Now, I understand Revelation was written in about 90 A.D., could have been even later, but not not outside of John's life. So we say about 90 AD, John probably wrote this. So it was 90 years uh, after Christ's birth, give or take a couple of years because the calendar is really off. And Jesus was born like in 3, 3 BC, actually. He wasn't born on. And the first year of Jesus' life at his birth, if, we, if they were accurate, is still year one, and that's actually year zero, right? His first year is year zero, and then one starts the next year, first, but we call it one. So when you count backwards, his birth would be 12 months before he was one. So year one would actually be, anyway. So it's confusing as, at best, and we have to very carefully, and so when we're reading quickly, and we've only got an hour, and we're looking at a lot of stuff, we miss some of that, and, and obviously. So we ought to be cautious, and that's one reason um, I, I try not to, I, I firmly believe what I believe, but I don't claim that I can explain everything, and I certainly will not, uh, uh, like, 
die about it unless I can go, yeah, but how about this? And I've, I've looked at that. So having said all that, I also, I never explained um, uh, one thing about, about this book, and that's the title itself, The Revelation. And, and if you notice in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John, it's the revelation to John. But the word revelation in Greek, it means to expose. It, it actually means to take the lid off. So it's like you've got a can full of stuff with a lid on it, and you pull the top off, and you can see it. But I, but I say that, and I've always wanted to do it, but I could never do it as well. But And one of our, one of our theology professors, and I don't think we studied the book of Revelation with him. Maybe we did. And, and he, was a, he was a Dallas grad. Dallas is the seminary that believes dispensationally how this looks, which is not how I look at it. But anyway, having said that, he came into class that day, and he was going to explain the meaning of the book of Revelation. And, they, and I learned later, he does this every year, and then you're, you're sworn to secrecy so that the next students that are coming in next year, you don't tell them what's going to happen. But he was wearing a three-piece suit back then, and he said, Revelation means to expose, but it's like a sudden revelation, it's a sudden thing, and he grabs his tie and he pulls out, and the tie was like 20 feet long. It was some like clown tie, and he throws it, and it goes all the way out into the, where all the students are sit, sitting. He goes, that's revelation, like it was hidden, and now, boom, there it is. So I want you to understand that about this book. It's like, we would never have known this, but God took off the lid to let us look and see. So he takes the lid off so John sees it, and he writes what he saw. So John is pulling from Old Testament sources, He's also trying to record his experience, and um, people go to varying degrees of intensity in trying to understand what he's talking about. In chapter 9, you're going to see locusts that are horses that have womenly hair and men-like faces and some kind of damaging thing in their tail. I, I don't know what that is, right? Um, it's just a lot of weird stuff uh, in, in here. And so we, people go to trying to just, justify it and say, well, he'd never seen planes and tanks and helicopters or something like that, to how about it was just a weird creature God created and locked it up until the end. I like that explanation best because then I don't have to explain anything. Um, and, and, that's, and that's probably more, I, I, if, if, if you made me bet money and I don't bet money, um, that would be my, what I would tend to want to stick to. But having said all that, let's look, let's look at chapter 8. Um, and it's the seventh seal and the golden censers. And I, I've read it so recently, and I didn't get a nap today. And hopefully by next week I can say this making a little bit more sense. But we had these seven seals, and we do see judgments and things coming out of them. And we get down to seal uh, 6, and... It, 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 a lot is going on, but it looks like whoop, it's about to happen. And then we go to seven trumpets, but we skip this. You guys skip chapter uh, a little bit to, to get there. And uh, chapter 8 is going to show us all these things in the seven seals and go into the seven trumpets. Something interesting in chapter 8, what was in the scroll that, the, that was sealed with seven seals? What does the Bible say was in there? This is going to give me time to finish this whole cup of coffee. That was a hint. Well, there is silence in heaven, but what was recorded in the book that, this, that they just tore seven seals off so that it could open it? It never says. Okay, I'll just, I'll just save you from keep looking. It never says what's in the scroll. It doesn't say in the scroll open and it said this. He just goes into seven trumpets. Okay, so, so just figure that, understand that. So then from there, you got to start going, well, wait a minute. Is everything he records after that, what was the contents of the book, of the scroll or the book? I'll call it the book. The scroll that was rolled up, the book, is that the contents? That is what I would say a lot of people think that's the way it is, and I would tend to think because it just makes the most sense. But why didn't he say it? And this goes back to what I tried to say about you got to kind of 
come down on, well, how do you think Revelation is written? Is it chronological? Um, is it mismatched just all over the place? And I described it this way, and I've read several commentaries that kind of want to describe it this way, that it's sort of like watching a TV show or a movie that you see a scene, and then it says six months earlier, and then it goes back and, and it progresses and fills in the detail till you get back to the scene. And, and Revelation seems to be largely written like that, like, I saw this book with seals, and nobody's found worthy to open. And then they said, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy of it. And then we have two chapters of praise to God, and then the lamb opens the first seal, right? So, you know, it's like, whoa, and then it backs up and kind of comes back up to it, and then it starts happening. And so it kind of does that, and what you're going to notice is at the six, the sixth seal, the sixth trumpet, it's then you go into something totally unrelated to the seal. And then it comes back to the next thing, or the trumpet. And then, then it comes back to, oh, and then these bowls, and it's, you know, then the seventh bowl, and then all this stuff. So that's why I lined it up, if you remember, like one through seven, and then the sixth seal opens the one through seven, and the sixth seal of that one opens the one through seven, and all the sevens come down in a line on the side. Is my code hitting it too much? Okay, we're good. I keep... It might be the youth banging against the wall. That, that's okay. All right, thanks. That's, that, that hit me after I said that. So, so ha having understood that, we see the Lamb opens the seventh seal. That's how this starts. So this is exciting. It's the seventh seal. Now, um, I've, not, I've tried not to blatantly address the rapture question. And, and what I've I invite you to do at the very beginning of this study, and we're doing chapter 8 tonight, and goes to chapter 22, is tell me when you see the rapture in the book of Revelation. So far, we had not seen it. Okay, so I'm just saying. It, it hasn't appeared yet. Um, so when we come to ch chapter 8, verse 1, the Lamb opens the seventh seal. Now, the way I look at this and believe this is this is the return of Christ. The seventh of each one of these is the return of Christ. Um, others believe it's chronological, one through seven, one through seven, and one through seven. And if that's your belief, you can have that. I just want you to justify it you know, by what the Word says, and I'm good with you because the Word doesn't say what I just said, okay? My belief is not laid out in here, but I'm just looking at what each sixth and seventh seal looks like, or trumpet or bowl, and the similarities are too great. Plus, there's a lot happening that later you see either the same thing happening or something different. For instance, here in chapter 8, um, uh, the first angel in verse 7 Blows his trumpet, hail and fire mixed with blood. Um, they were thrown on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Look in um, chapter 9, and I should have uh, kept this reference for myself, but somewhere in there, in there it says, but don't hurt the grass. So in, in chapter 9, you have a reference to not hurting the grass, but a third of it was burned up in chapter 8. These are not contradictory. He may be saying don't burn any more of it. Okay? But you have that kind of juxtaposition of things where it's what, what is going on. In chapter 9, I'm going to ask you uh, uh, why some things happened. Uh, it, it, there's only a hint of it in the text, and so you have to dig. So, okay, back to 8. So, the Lamb opens the seventh seal. Now, remember, I think this is final judgment. Just So, when I say what I believe about all this. Understand that's where I'm coming from. That may not be where someone else comes from, and I am not, you know, we can fellowship over the salvation in Christ. We're good. Um, but then it says, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, the same question as what was in the book applies here. Why was there silence in heaven? We don't know. It doesn't say. It just says there was silence. Then he says, then I saw. But remember, he says, after this, I saw four 
at least four times or more in the book of Revelation. So it's just an indicator that there was silence. Then I saw this. So the, the very next thing that happened is I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Did that happen after the 30 minutes? Or did it happen during the silent period? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. But those are two different ways of thinking about it that, that I saw and that maybe others. Um, there's Old Testament references. I should have written so much of this down. There's Old Testament reference. Um, and, and some people get hung up on that one and they forget chapters 4 and 5 in, in Revelation. Uh, well, the... The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent. That's the verse in the Old Testament, right? But then you have a multitude singing praises to God in, in Revelation, and that ain't quiet. <laughs> so it's not always quiet in the presence of God, but there is a time to be quiet in the presence of God. So whatever this is, it's a time to be quiet. There's silence. Can you imagine that? You've got all these angels continuously, holy, holy, holy worshiping, falling down to the elders and all of this going on, and all this stuff and, and, and these seals are being opened and all these things are pouring out. And he opens the seventh and whoosh, heaven just goes quiet. Now, what do you think, and there can't be a wrong answer because it doesn't say, what do you think is happening? Why is there silence? What's happening here? I, I like that because that's kind of what I think too, but no, what else could be happening? Have you ever had a big thing to do and you really didn't want to do it? What did you do just before you started? Okay, and then you did it, right? So that's kind of what he's saying. It's like, oh, the end's here. And everybody goes, all this multitude worshiping God goes silent. The angels go silent. Creation of heaven goes silent. The king is about to return. Mount up. Saddle up, boys. Here we go. You know, that kind, of, that kind of idea. But as it's opening, there's these seven trumpets. That's what's coming in. And he hands out seven trumpets in this silence. So it's not, in, again, it, when he opened the six, you see all this stuff that looks like the end of the world. And the seventh is open and there's quiet because there's more to come. And so this is where, I, the way I understand the chronology, which I could be wrong, I will keep saying that over and over because it's not in stone in here. We see that, but now it's, he backs up to explain what these trumpets are going to look like, and it's going to happen again. And then, wait a minute, before we do that, let's look at the thunders. Wait a minute, don't, don't write about the thunders. Okay, we'll just go to the bowls and let you look at that. So there's actually a fourth set of seven in there that we don't know what it is. He just said... And then I saw these seven thunderings or lightnings, or I can't remember which one word it is. And the angel says, don't write that. You leave that alone. Don't, don't tell them about that. <laughs> so we don't even know what that is. And it's, but it's going to be in between, I think, the, the, the trumpets and the, and the ending bowls uh, of it all. So I saw a silence in ha heaven for about a half an hour. Why a half an hour? Now notice he says about. Now I know they didn't have a clock that could look, you know, in detail, but the Bible is very accurate. It doesn't, it doesn't use words loosely. There's a, there is a passage where it says they went up to Jerusalem, but they were already north of it, and so in our th thinking, we would be going down, but from north of it, going to Jerusalem was a rise in elevation, so they went up from this city to Jerusalem because they had to go uphill, it wasn't directional, east, west, north, south. It was elevation. So the Bible's very specific sometimes when it, when it uses certain words. So he says, about a half an hour. Well, again, he, he, he couldn't time, but he had an idea of what an hour was. I mean, I guess they, could, they used hour time. And how, how did they know? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know why. You know, like the Bible says at the third hour, the sixth hour. How did they know it was the third hour, the sixth hour? Was there some guy turning things going, six hour, you know, like a town crier, maybe, I, I don't know. So when he says about a half an hour, it could have been exactly 30 minutes, could have been 32 minutes, could have been 28 minutes. 
But why is it so specific, and why only 30 minutes? In light of eternity, that doesn't seem like much. Sort of like God just taking in a breath, right? <laughs> here we go. I, I don't know. That, that's a big mystery. I've spent a lot of time on what I don't know here, but uh, nobody really knows. I'm just telling you things, that, things I've read. So some people think that 30 minutes is, is filled with this preparation. The seven trumpets are passed out. Uh, notice in verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar, and this is the cool part, uh, with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of saints on the golden altar before the throne. And look at verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand uh, of the angel. Again, there are Old Testament references that, that uh, say similar things about incense and God and, and prayers. And, uh, and, and let's just stop right there because then he's going to do something else with the censer after that. A censer would be like a tray, a metal tray. Just think of a metal tray being held by, by uh, chains and on it you could put anything and carry it. And so they would put the fire and the incense on something like that. So that's more than likely something like it is. It, we don't have to get specific about design. When he said censer, the people then knew what it looked like because I guess that was a common deal they had. But... Notice what is on that censer. There's incense, but why was the incense put there with the fire? It's to mingle with what? So in this 30 minutes, is God listening to the, all the prayers of the saints at that moment? Remember in the earlier chapters, we see the martyrs under the altar, and they're saying what? How long, O Lord? He says, just rest a minute, I got it. Well, this is part of that. This is part of that fulfillment. I heard your prayers, we're about to, we're about to put the show on the road right here. Because God's, God is hearing the prayers with incense. But notice it says, another angel. If he is not named here. Do you have any guesses or thoughts about who that uh, another angel might be in verse 3? And another angel came. The Lamb opened it, and I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And then another is open. Another angel comes. Who do you think these seven angels are? Because they seem pretty important. I, I did mark this one in this book. I took the wrong book home, so I didn't get to read my favorite commentary on it. I read a different one. I got something out of it, but it was older and different, but it's okay. I, I will tell you that there have been theologians who want to say that could have been Christ. And their thinking is because he is, he is carrying these prayers of the saints. That, that only Christ is the intercessor, okay? Now, here's why most people reject that. I'm just telling you that is a view that some people have. I don't know who those people are. I just know some people have that view. Um, and in times past, because some people used to be kind of loose with the text. Um, and like I said, it, this book has this in it. So did the other one I was reading. talks about it. And this, uh, there's a lot here in this little part Remember I told you about the Apocrypha between the Old and New Testament? The book of Enoch is in there, and there's been some new research recently that believes at least a part of the book of Enoch is a lot more ancient than from between the intertestinal period, and that Enoch might have actually written it, or written part of it at least. And so the later Enoch books are kind of rejected, but this first one they kind of hold on to, and Jude quotes him, Jesus quoted him, um, so, we're not sure, but these are, these are in the sense of Old Testament books that John and his audience would be familiar with. And I, I had no idea, didn't realize this, studied Revelation before, but somehow I missed this. But it says, the language suggests seven well-known angels. Seven angels who stand before God do not appear in biblical literature. But, and here's the big but, Enoch chapter 20 verse 7 
gives the names of seven holy angels, and Tobit, which is another of the books in the Apocrypha, 1215, speaks of Raphael, one of the seven holy angels, who present the prayers of the saints. Luke 119 talks about Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Daniel, um, uh, in chapter 9 and chapter 10, Gabriel comes there as a mediator of, of the prayers Daniel prayed and the answer coming back from God. Hebrews 1.14 tells us angels perform some sort of ministry for the saints. The other commentator, Terry, that I read, uh, I don't have it in my hand, but it named the seven angels that are in the book of Enoch. You can look them up, probably you can just Google that and find them. Um, but Gabriel's one, Enoch, I mean, uh, uh, Raphael is one, uh, which is why his parents named Raphael, Raphael probably. Um, and these are supposedly the, the special angels of God. And here in Revelation, he just references them. And the seven angels of God who stand in the presence of God, da, 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 and he goes on. Then he says, another angel. Well, it's not the seven big ones, so who's this one? And so some guys went, it must be the Lord. Well, no. Jesus is never referred to as an angel. Like, it's, it's too disrespectful, you know? It, 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 it'd be like if you looked at your mom and said, well, you know, you're a mom. <laughs> Not, you're my mom, or, you know, you're the greatest mom who ever lived. It's just, yeah, well, I know, you're a mom, big deal. You know, it, it's almost that kind of language there. And so... I don't think John, seeing his best friend and Lord and Savior, would go, well, and there was this other angel. No, he'd say, he would, he would make it clearer that that was Christ. So, we reject that, but I just, I wanted to mention it because, who is this other angel? We already got seven with trumpets. Didn't say there were eight angels that stood in the presence of God. So, it's another big shot angel, because he's got a big job. What does he do? He does the censor, right? Um, and he offers these prayers of saints. So, I said that kind of this morning, I think, uh, that God created, yeah, in the sermon, I just, I just quickly referenced that God created a lot of different kinds of angels, and we only know about some of them. So, we got some, a hint of something here that we can't really explain. We don't know exactly what that might be. But now, look at verse 7, what he does with the censer. I'm sorry, I take that back. Verse 5. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. What altar? And, and again, uh, I, I, I kind of forgot to say this. Look at verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. So there are people that want to debate which altar. This is when you start you know, wondering about the third toe of the left foot of the, you know, the statue. And you forget this is all about Jesus coming back. But I, I do think we ought to be accurate if, if we can be. So I don't mind us looking at that. Um, so they argue because the temple is built on the model of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is built on the model of what Moses saw as the temple in heaven. So don't forget that, that it's, it's a copy. The Ark of the Covenant is a copy of the mercy seat. The temple, the tabernacle is a copy of, of the place of worship in heaven. There's a court. There's, a, there's an altar there and, and all of that. So this angel comes to this altar, and so they debate about which altar. And most, like, the simple thing is, it's the one altar. It's this altar of, of sacrifices, the altar there before God. And now, after he presents the prayers, he just puts fire on the censer, and he flings it to the earth. Well, it says through it, but I'm southern. Um, and he filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So God's fire off the altar hitting the earth makes a mess. Okay? And this is coming out of the seventh seal. Seventh seal happens, there's silence, and we see these things happen, but there's seven trumpets. So within this seal, there's seven trumpets now that we got to look at, and the seventh one's going to line up with kind of what's going on here. And again, we'll look, the six and seven always kind of line up. There's a lot of similarities from the, from the seals to the trumpets to the Bowl. So, the seven trumpets, and we get into those, and we get four of them in this chapter. The seven angels had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Did you, did you know the commentator wanted to ask what does it mean that they prepared? But I think that's important. What do you think it means that the angel prepared to blow them? What 
What does that word prepared might that mean? It, don't don't complicate it. It's kind of silly. Mentally? Could be, yeah. Could be me mentally, just like, okay, it's go time. I'm finally in the game. I get to blow the trumpet. I knew this was coming for thousands of years. Now I get to do it, right? I like to think about things that live a long time like that. Angels being uh, eternal by the power of God, just as we are now, but we had a beginning. So did they. Could be, like, yeah. I like that. I hadn't thought of that one. That's really good. Yeah. Right. They're lining up. They're getting ready. Yeah. You gotta get their lips right. <laughs> yeah, I, and and it could be that too. I, I think all of that is involved in it. I mean, honestly, um, angels are created beings. Um, I think. They do better than us, but I don't know that they do everything perfectly when they do it. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It's a black and white movie. It's probably from the 30s, maybe. It was a talkie, but it was almost just like right after silent movies. And it was called God's Green Acre, I think is the name. You know what I'm talking about? It's all black and white, and it's all, it's heaven as if they were black people in Louisiana. Right? <laughs> And so the firmament, they're boiling pots, making like catfish stew, and all the smoke is the firmament, creating a, something like that. I, I only saw it once when I was about a teenager, and I wish I could get a copy of it. If you ever can get a copy of it, I'll buy it from you, okay? Um, but in there, God's in his office, and he's writing over here on his desk, and Gabriel's sitting behind him. And Gabriel looks over and looks at his trumpet, and he reaches down, and he picks up, you know, like a, a trumpet like we know, and he gets it right to his mouth, and God, without turning around, says, Gabriel? He said, I, I was just testing it, Lord, that's all. <laughs> He's like, put it down, Gabriel. You know? So Gabriel puts the trumpet back down, like, I, don't blow it too early, it's not time. And uh, it, it was just, it's very humorous. The other humorous thing I remembered is, you know, in Daniel, where uh, the, the Babylonian, or the women are dancing, and they're having this big party, and everybody's getting drunk, and they're drinking out of the golden instruments from the temple and God comes and writes on the wall meaning meaning tikalu farsin right and, and the judgment so they're doing that scene and before God shows up and writes the girls are dancing and the kings are going man can't no gals jig like them Babylonian gals and it's just it's just it's hilariously funny and I don't think it was meant to be sacrilegious but made you go hmm that's that's interesting I never thought about that um, like I said, I don't think there was ill intent. Uh, people had a lot more respect for scripture back then. But anyway, um, yeah, all that is involved in preparation. I, I, I was just thinking, Pastor Andy, before church on Sunday morning, he, we, have, we call it the green sheet. We have a green sheet and how we get ready and all. And so I look at it and anybody's participating, you know, we check through Andy. He, he organized that for us. And he warned me, he said, I want you to notice this. Look at the first song. And notice the extra reference there. We're going to sing Holy, Holy, Holy before and after. And I saw that. Because he said, and, and he's right, and I do it for a reason. He said, you come up energetically. And today we're going to be singing Holy, Holy, Holy. You know, we want. And so today I came up slowly and just had a little more decorum when I got there. And the reason is I don't like dead air. And dead air is a reference to radio. If there's no noise on the radio, it, you'll, that'll last about three seconds. You'll reach up and change the channel. If, hardly anybody listens to radio anymore. We got iTunes, all that stuff. But, but that's called dead air. TV and radio, you never want dead air because people change the channel. You want something. And it drives me crazy when somebody knows they got to make an announcement and they sit in the back of the church and they, it's time for our announcement about the dinner. And the guy looks at you like, now? Yeah, I said now. Get up here. I want them standing right here before I ever say that. And I go, and now come step in. I don't want dead air. I want, I want it to keep flowing. So Pastor Andy prepared me so I could prepare my mind to be ready to go up. You see what I'm saying? And so I think everything we said comes into that word prepared. Like this isn't just like, 
hey, we're going to go, let's go, ready? Yeah, who goes first? I'm going to blow. Woo. No, you know, they are, they're set in order. Everything's, everything is planned out, and, and, and there's a hint of that there in, in that word. So the first angel blew his trumpet, and we get down into the meat of it. And the, there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burnt up. Remember chapter 9, it says, don't touch the grass. Um, but he, he, here's a question. Does that remind you of anything else? Have you ever seen a plague like that before? Yeah, in Egypt. There's a couple of those in here that look like that. There's a lot in here that references back to Egypt. So uh, the hailstones especially. Um, and hail and fire, what in the world is that? How do you have ice balls um, and fire together and the fire burns up the earth uh, a third of it and a third of the trees and the grass so this is just a judgment of God on the earth he is he is beginning to send his judgment the second angel blows his trumpet in verse uh, 8 and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. Now, let, let me just stop at the first part of that. What does a flaming mountain thrown into the sea look like in your mind? A what? Yeah, a, a meteor, a comet. Yeah, it catches fire coming through the atmosphere. If it's big enough, it won't be burned up. I mean, like, a big one hits the atmosphere, it's going to be a pebble by the time it gets to the earth. So this has got to be a huge one, if that's what it is. It may not be that. We, it does, we don't have to explain miracles with natural causes. But God, can God use natural causes or natural signs? Absolutely. In fact, man, something I just read or heard this afternoon, and I was going to remember it to tell you, and I suddenly realized why this event happened because God was doing this. It was, and now, man, it's totally gone around my mind. It may come back that there was something happening. And, and once I saw it, it was like, oh, man, God set that up for this to happen. And I've never heard anybody link those historical events in my life. But it just became so evident when, I, when someone, I, I don't know what I saw or heard. Hopefully it'll come back to me because um, I've really lost that one. Um, but anyway, so it looks like a meteor hitting uh, the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, but be careful, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Well, I, I was saying be careful, because the next one is when it happens. It's going to happen again, uh, similarly. So, um, it's not just a phenomenon. Do you know what is called the red bloom or the red, uh, the red death is in, in, in the ocean. It's a bloom of algae and it's colored red and it kills fish. So back when I was a kid, we would hear about it occasionally happening in Florida, off the coast of Florida. Oh, they had a red bloom in Florida and it killed off a bunch of fish and they're washing up on the shore. I haven't heard about those lately. I thought the earth was warming up, but anyway, um, they happen sometimes. Yeah, go ahead. Good question. Because, you know, you know how in the summertime the grass can just sprung up and be brown and, and then they get rain and then they re-sprout? You know, grass could be burned up by plants or anything. It still got roots with a little time. It would re-sprout and go grassy. And that could be. And so it, yeah. I'm saying there could be, you know, we don't know what the time frame is between these plants. Yeah, we... we and, it, and if you follow my timeline, you got three and a half years. If you follow the other timeline, you got seven years for that to happen in. And, and so there could be a gap of time that could happen. In fact, it, it didn't make sense, and so people didn't want to do it for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to make what's in my head a long story a little bit shorter. Um, wild turkeys almost became extinct in America. And in the 1950s, they decided we want to make sure that doesn't happen. And the only place that had full-blooded, no mix, there's four, there's four types of turkeys in North America. 
Uh, the Eastern is the one we have here, and it's the biggest of the four breeds in America. The only place where there was a pure strain of Eastern wild turkeys was on the coast of South Carolina. So they came down there and they, they caught them, and then they, if you had, you had to have a certain number of acres, they would put turkeys there, but you couldn't hunt them for five years, so the population could get. So conservation of turkeys became a huge deal in the 50s, and before that, if a guy killed a turkey, that was an amazing thing because there just weren't many around. Now, same with deer and all that. Hunters saved all of the wildlife in North America. They wanted to hunt them. If you're going to hunt them, you got to have them. If you're going to have them, you got to do it smart, and so we started doing it. Do you know what helps turkeys is if you burn off all the vegetation, to your point, um, in, in, uh, in, I think uh, in the spring, uh, just before or just after the spring. Nobody wanted to do it because they said, but they got nests on the ground. They're laying, they're, they're laying their eggs during that time. And what they found out is burning the grass doesn't hurt the nest at all. They're fine. In fact, you have more turkeys if you do it when they said to do it and how they did it. So sometimes burning things off does create a, 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 an explosion of growth back. So what you said made perfect sense. Never thought of that a day in my life. That was really, that's pretty insightful. And I'm glad to have a nurseryman here to help me with that. Um, if you need, well, no, he sells to companies, not to people. Um, anyway, but he'll sell to you if you want it. Um, so, so we see that. The second trumpet, verse 8, uh, is with this hail falls and the volcanoes and all of that. A third of the sea became blood. Again, the Nile became blood. you remember that? And a third of the fish reminds us of the similar plague in Exodus 7. Um, a third of the ships are destroyed. So I want, I want to point that out because it's not just the life in the ocean died. This, this is catastrophic. If a comet was to hit the water, you're going to have tsunamis. And a third of the commerce on the sea is, is wiped out. Now think about just COVID and then horrible election. And all of a sudden shipping routes are knocked out. And how even in America we had shortages in our, in our stores, right? Can you imagine a third of all the commerce traversing from China to America? Since I dare you, I mean, do you know when Walmart started, it was we only sell things made in America? Can't find anything in there made in America anymore, right? Why? Because it just, it was too cheap and easy. So we are beholden to China for everything now. They own, they own our country. We, we owe them. Um, in fact, just in the next chapter, you might see something about China over there, right? Um, um, a million man standing army in the next chapter coming from the east, but a third of commerce is knocked out on the ocean. Then the third angel blows his trumpet, and here's another one. A great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the, I'm going to ask you where you saw that reference before too, and, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Okay, um, where have you ever heard somebody talking about a great star falling from heaven? Yeah, Lucifer did. Jesus said that when the 70 came back, he said, I saw Lucifer fall from heaven like, like lightning. Um, um, so Jesus said this when he was in his body earlier, and now John sees a similar event, but this one, this is on the, clear water, the water we drink, the, the non-salty water, and it makes it all bitter. What is this the opposite of? That's good. Yeah, the living water, but there's a, there's a reference in the Old Testament to when water was bitter and it was made sweet. Yeah, Moses, and God said, cut this kind of branch and throw it in there, and they did, and the water became sweet. Wormwood just means bitter. It's not necessarily poisonous, but for some reason, this bitter water is causing people to die. Uh, whether they die of thirst because they don't want to drink it, uh, they can't get it clean, uh, or that you drink enough of it and it kills you something. But it kills, uh, uh, notice that, a third of the waters came where, and many people died. It doesn't give you a, 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 a fraction. And then the fourth angel, and this is the last trumpet in this chapter, 
blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. There's so much in there, I, I can't even begin to understand that one. Um, I know if a volcano goes off, you can't see the sun or the stars for a while from the, from the ash that comes out of that thing. And, and by the way, you know what had happened just before John wrote all this? There's two big events that happened. One was the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's 20 years before he wrote. He saw Rome march in and totally destroy the temple. And so it, there are some references in here that, that might have been in John's mind as he was writing. The other is, guess what had blown up and buried people in this Greek city? Vesuvius had blown up. Is that Greek or that? Italian, Italian Rome. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, in Italian. So that had already happened too. So he had seen smoke out of a volcano, probably, darkening the sky. So, but I don't think, again, natural events don't dictate what John writes here, but um, there, there had already been some, some things they saw that remind them of this. So, is, this, is the day a third shorter, or is it just a third of the sky is blacked out? What do you think? There's a reference in Scripture that if he had not, and I think it's in Revelation, if he had not shortened the days, no flesh would have been saved. So, do the days become shorter during the period of tribulation? I, I, I find that hard to believe. Sound like, get smart now. I find that hard to believe. Um, but, but at least a third of the light coming from these heavenly light sources is blacked out. And that's from, uh, again, um, it, this is just a trumpet blast and it, it happens. So did that trumpet blast knock them out of the sky? <laughs> you know, what's, what's going on? And then it's, it's sort of a pause after that verse. And I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, I know in Hebrew, and I've taught you this, that if it's three, it's perfect. But I don't believe that's what's happening here because within the verse he says there's still three trumpets, and that's very true. So he's saying woe for each trumpet, that every trumpet that blows, it's woe to men. But isn't it interesting it's an eagle flying and, and shouting that? A bird of prey, a bird of carrion. You know, all the birds that we think of as great mighty hunters also will eat things that are already dead. And vultures that we think only eat dead things will kill if they're hungry. They're all birds of prey. That's, that's the point. Vultures don't mind eating dead things as much, and other, other birds eat uh, killed for their food. But um, any nerds in here? Got an extra biblical reference for eagles crying out as they fly overhead? Like Lord of the Rings? Um, remember, Tolkien's a Christian. I don't think they, they speak, but they, also, but they do help them. Huh, they do? Do they talk to the hobbits or something? I don't remember. Is it in the hobbit or is it in the... Sorry. Tolkien, yeah, Tolkien's a great believer. He and C.S. Lewis worked together. Okay, yeah, yeah, and Deratagast too. An angel flies in heaven, yeah. Yeah, I'm in the ESV, which has better manuscripts to work from, but it doesn't mean they're absolutely right necessarily. But uh, this eagle crying, in fact, I did read in that other commentary, which now I can't remember, but he said uh, angel, but it could be, uh, some people say eagle. But it, it cries out that there are woes still to come. I don't know about you, but I personally believe animals could talk until the, at, least in, at least until the fall of man, but probably until the flood, um, for me, I, just saying. Um, and, and guys that from way back, before we got so industrialized and computerized that we don't believe in supernatural things anymore, um, we kind of lose it. So when you read Tolkien and... And uh, Lewis, uh, they may be actually referencing the way it was before the flood, <laughs> that there were some weird things walking around and all of that. Um, and at the end, Balaam's donkey talk, didn't it? 
So, you know, God can use that donkey, he can use almost anybody. Um, so animals can, if God wants to use them, can speak. So this eagle is crying out that there's three woes to come. And again, as I said this morning, the chapter designations are put in there by men. I wouldn't have put a new, new chapter right there. I'd have just, I would have just grouped all the trumpets together, how I would have done it. So I, I gave you some, some questions for chapter 9. You might come up with some better ones. I didn't do a real great job with those, so maybe I'll uh, redo some stuff for you by next week on that. But um, I, I, I studied chapter 9 today a, a lot. And in chapter 9, men want to die and can't. I, be looking at that. What is that all about? Um, another, uh, and in, in chapter 9, verse 1, a star falls from heaven, but it's a person. That's, that's kind of a weird reference as well. So think about that. And uh, that star, that person, that angel, whatever it is, has a key that opens a bottomless pit. And that's where all the stuff comes pouring out of. So uh, the, the rest of the trumpets are pretty interesting. So be thinking about it because then we come to 10, which is another, okay, we, we had the seals and a break. Then we were going to have the trumpets and a break. And then we're going to have something else coming. So uh, be doing that. Uh, thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, thank you for putting up with all this uh, with me. Uh, I'm sure... Many of you in here could have probably done a lot better. So I appreciate you coming. Let me do it. And uh, any questions? Uh, if you have any, I'll give you a phone. Somebody you can call to ask. No, I'm kidding. Any, any other any questions? Or any comments? I mean, please. I want this to be more interactive, and I'm not good at that. So please interrupt me at any point. No questions? No comments? Okay. Well, just don't forget, Jesus is coming back, and we're going to pretend like it's today. Uh, and I don't mean pretend as in it ain't. I just mean that's how I live. I just think it could be any moment, or it could be hundreds of years from now, because I don't understand everything. But I'm going to live like it's today, because I may not make it home tonight. That's just a fact of life, right? I, I, I have to be careful how I talk about life and death, because I was raised by um, Scottish-descended uh, very practical people. My dad talked to me about death when I was a little boy watching him shave. So um, that, that'll, that'll mess you up. Um, my granddaughter is named Annabelle. Did I tell you all this? I might have told you. I, I tell groups this sometimes. Savannah, when she was about nine years old, I had a book from when I was 10 years old that I said, Savannah, I, this was a book when I was your age, and I think you would enjoy it. And it was Edgar Allan Poe's Great Tales of Horror. And... <laughs> And so she read the Telltale Heart and uh, all those things when she was nine and loved it. And um, she loves literature. She loves Southern Gothic. That's her favorite. And, uh, and so um, Annabelle is the second most famous poem that Poe ever wrote. And it's about his cousin that he married or wanted to marry. I think he married her. And uh, uh, I think I shall never see anything as sweet as Annabelle Lee. Well, that's her name, Annabelle Lee. Uh, Janice, uh, Annabelle is Annabelle Lee, Savannah Savannah Lee, Janice is Janice Lee, her mama's Linda Lee, her daddy's Golfin Lee, and his daddy was something Lee. So uh, they kept the Lee going, um, and right now there's five, gener four generations of Lee women alive, so that's uh, pretty neat. Well, let's pray. Father, uh, in Jesus' name, uh, we are so grateful uh, to you. Um, because you are the awesome almighty God. Your ways are, are beyond finding out, but yet you've revealed enough to us that we know you and that we can trust you for that which you, you can't tell us because it'd kill us. It's so amazing. And we thank you for revelation. You are warning us. You're telling us these things are coming. And Lord, even, even if we don't live to see this or, or we are gone before this happens or there are people that are going to be here when this happens, and we need to be preparing people now to know that, that there's a God who said this would happen, and it will happen, and that right now they need to turn to you. And so, Lord, may we be diligent about sharing you because we love you, first of all. We love you. Uh, we, we, we say, Lord, you came because you loved us, and you do love us. 
and, but because you love the Father is why you came. And this was, this was the will of the Father, that you would come and die on a cross for us. And we know that, that you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love us. And that is really beyond our comprehension. Even though you made us, we did nothing but rebel against you. And so we are grateful that not only do you love us enough to save us, but you love us enough to warn us about uh, judgment to come. And so, Lord, those of us in here who've realized that there is a judgment coming and we have given all those things that we have done wrong into your hand to keep against that day, um, we are grateful that, uh, that you're that kind of God. So may we go in the light of that, the hope of that, and may we share you with those without any hope. In Jesus' name, amen.